bad thing. But uh, I can definitely share with you on my birthday when I get um, like uh, spam emails, I kind of just wish they didn't remember me. You, I mean, from people's lovely, but you know when it's like from like uh, checkers and they're like, happy birthday, wishing you, why don't you come pay for, buy some more things? I'm like, oh, rather not, thanks very much. We don't like being forgotten and we, we want to be seen. Um, maybe I'm giving away my age, but when we were younger, at the end of the year, the little school magazine used to come out, and what would be the first thing that you'd turn to? What was that? that you, can, you, can turn, you can tell me the one that you were going to turn to. It's no right or wrong answer. What would you turn to if a school magazine comes out? Picture of you, Picture of you right? Because who do you want to see? You want to be seen, right? So picture of you, or sporting achievements, or maybe you, creative writing was more your thing. So you want to you see, hey, how many times did I uh, go in the this, this school magazine? But like I say, maybe I'm giving my, away my age. <coughs> in doing research for this, for this uh, talk, I, I came across a, a site that was called I Hate Being Forgotten. And on this blog, there were 185 stories of, of, of people, um, spouses, husbands, wives, friends, teammates, stories about people who were heartbroken because they were forgotten. That's sad, right? We want to be seen. We want to be seen on Facebook. We want to be tagged on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is. We want people to see us. We want people to notice us. We don't want to be forgotten. And at the beginning of each year, we have many hopes, tons of dreams, aspirations, we pledge to be better people, better athletes, better students, better workers, better parents, better spouses, better churchgoers, better city group goers. But as the year gets going, we tend to just get knocked down little bit by bit. And sometimes those things are because of circumstances outside of our control. And at other times, we get knocked down because of poor decisions and poor choices. We suffer because of our sinful natures. And sometimes we just suffer because the world is a broken place, completely out of our control, in desperate need of a savior. We may have sickness, disease, heartache, loneliness, disappointment, despair. But no matter what the reason that we have become hurt, whether it is a direct consequence of our poor decisions or whether we experience hurt because of this broken world, no matter what, we long to be seen noticed and remembered. Monday we put our work faces on, Sunday we even put our church faces on. We put our masks on. We keep people at a distance, why? Because actually we just don't wanna be hurt anymore. We, we're hurting, and yes, you may see us hurting, but, but we don't wanna be hurt anymore at the risk of being let down. But something inside us longs to be seen. We long to be acknowledged by a loving, caring person. We don't want to be overlooked. We don't want to be forgotten or tossed aside. And I found that to be especially the case as we draw near to the end of another year, another tough year. Maybe I really am showing how old I am. But anyways, there was this amazing movie back in the day called Avatar. Is it that old? No, okay, great. I'm hip. Although I think make, saying I'm hip doesn't make me hip anymore. So, in this movie Avatar, James Cameron's classic sci-fi epic movie. The Navi people had a greeting that was, if you know it, I see you. Well, same, fantastic, awesome, I see you. 
But you see, in this movie, I see you was not just a greeting. It was a spiritual greeting. It was a spiritual I see you. It was a synonym for I understand you. I comprehend you. I can contain you. Or maybe in today's language it would be, I get you. And so as we begin the series on God has a word for you, at the beginning of this last quarter of the year, can you believe it? The first word that I felt prompted to share from the Holy Scriptures is God is faithful and he sees you. God is indeed faithful and he remembers you. As we get into the series and as we get into this word today, I've got three stories for us. Two from the Old Testament, one from the New. And the first one from the Old Testament is a broader story about the nation of Israel. And then we've got a specific story about an Israelite. And both of these Old Testament stories are insanely scandalous. They don't have great endings, to be honest with you, but towards the end of the talk, I'll land the plane with some really, really good news. And so today I'll be going through a text from the Old Testament book of Judges. But before I get into that specific story, let us pray. Lord, Father God, what a blessing it is to come and gather here this morning at Root of Fellowship, Lord, in the city of Pretoria. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and gather as your people. We give you honor, thanks, and praise, Lord God. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place, Lord, and I pray, Lord, right now that your Holy Spirit would come and move amongst us, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would preach, Lord, Lord, you, Lord that you would meet us. We thank you that we can pray this, Lord God, that you would lead us, that you would unite us, Lord and that you would move in our hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen. So, the nation of Israel, where did they find themselves around about the time of this Israelite person that I'm gonna be coming to a little bit later? I'd like to also say that this story is for believers and non-believers alike. So, please stay with us, stay with me here. Many of us who have, though, crossed the line of faith or have grown up in church, perhaps, would know about Israel's exodus from Egypt. The story of Moses leading the Egyptians out of Egypt through the Red Sea, that marvelous miracle, and into the desert where they roamed for 40 years. There was a movie also, Prince of Egypt, which may, uh, you may remember, that also has some of these facts. But after leaving Egypt, the nation of Israel go to Mount Sinai, where Moses goes up, the mountain, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And he comes down, and the nation of Israel enter into what we know as a covenant agreement with God, with Yahweh, the God of Israel. And in this agreement, God says to them, I will be your God, and you will be my people. God essentially says to the nation, I see you. I will remember you. I love you and I care for you. But just as the nation of Israel is about to enter into the promised land, Moses, Israel's fine leader, passes away. And Joshua takes, takes the lead, takes over from Moses, and he leads them into the promised land. Joshua and his army go into the promised land. They win amazing victories. Great military victories. They conquer great places like the city of Jericho. And this is all because God enables them to do it through his amazing 
Holy Spirit strength. Unfortunately, though, for the nation of Israel, they make a mistake by not obeying God completely. As they went about conquering the, the land, they do not eradicate the land of all its inhabitants. And this is a problem. Why? Because God wants the nation of Israel to remain faithful to him and not to worship the gods of the other nations, such as the Canaanites who worshipped Asherah and Baal and the Philistines who worshipped a god named Dagon. But then what happens? Joshua, the great leader, dies. And this begins a destructive cycle in the nation of Israel's history. The nation of Israel grows in their unfaithfulness. They commit idolatry. They start worshiping the other gods of the other people. And so God, what happens? He allows them to be punished and he allows them to be conquered and they come under the authority of the other nations like the Canaanites and the Philistines. And then what do they do? They repent. And so God then, in his grace and his mercy, uses other men and women to, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, he uses them to redeem Israel in that moment and they gain victories over Israel's conquerors. And then what happens? All goes well for a while. Israel rebels again, repeating the cycle again and again and again. But each time it's as if the rebellion gets worse and worse and worse. God used men and women called judges to lead the Israelites in this time. But I want you to know that these judges are not kind of like our judges that sit in courts and have a gravel, or gavel, gravel? Yeah, something like that, big hammer. They're not those kind of people. They're not infallible leaders either. They were community leaders, but they were not infallible leaders. They, like all of us, are sinful. And if you read the book of Judges, you will see that many of them lived super scandalous lives. But God uses them not because he approves of their sin, but because he remembers Israel. He loves and cares for the nation of Israel's well-being. And because God is just, merciful, and faithful. Amen? Amen. And so that's where the nation of Israel found themselves today as we come to the story about this Israelite. And our second story for today is about an amazingly interesting biblical character, in fact, one of my favorites, named Samson who in a way represents everything that is wrong with the nation of Israel and the human sinful nature. Now many of us will know the Sunday school version of the life of Samson. Although as I was preparing for this message, my wife said, hey, we teach Samson properly here at Rooted Fellowship. So, so there's no edited versions down happening at uh, Seedlings and Sprouts. Praise God. But you may know the PG-10 version of Samson. Or if you're not a Christian, and you've only heard the kids' church version, or maybe you're not even, you've never heard of Samson, and you're gonna about to hear about him, you're gonna be in for a surprise, because this story is scandalous. I know I've been saying it over and over, but it really is. And it takes place in the book of Judges, chapters 13 to 16, all about the life of Samson. And if what you hear sounds crazy and unbelievable, please go home, check out these three chapters in the week, Judges 13 to 16, Give me a call, email me if you have any thoughts. Some things about Samson. Samson was the son of a man named Manoah. And Manoah and his wife, were, they weren't able to fall pregnant, but an angel of the Lord comes to them later on in their life and says to Manoah's wife, you're going to have a son. And your son is to be named Samson, and he is to be a Nazarite, 
which means that he was to be dedicated to the service of the Lord and used by the people of Israel. Now, in Samson's day, a Nazarite did not cut or shear their hair. It's kind of like a hipster's paradise, right? Long beards, long hair, fantastic. They did not cut or shear their hair, and they did not drink alcohol as outward signs of their devotion to God, okay? So the Sunday school version I heard was, hey, Samson grew long hair, and that's the reason why he was strong. But no, no, those are the outward signs of a Nazarite. Samson becomes an Israelite judge or leader, and God's spirit begins to work powerfully through him, despite Samson's human failings. So why does God use Samson in spite of his sin and weakness? You're going to be hearing this over and over. Because God is faithful, loving, and merciful. Amen. And because God has made a covenant agreement with the nation of Israel, and God does not go back on his word. And so here are some pretty cool facts about Samson. Samson avenged one of the Philistine attacks on his family by catching 300 foxes, tying their tails together, so he takes two, ties the tails together, lights them on fire, and sets them through a field, sets them through the Philistines' crop fields. Don't get any ideas about your neighbor's dogs or cats, okay? <laughs> That's what he does. He is physically, physically strong. He kills 1,000, yes, you heard me correct, 1,000 Philistines using a single donkey's jawbone. And he tears apart, the Bible says, he tears apart a, a lion with his bare hands. He rips off the front gates of a city building and carries them away with him. But all of these acts of strength were because Samson was empowered by God's spirit and not because, as we may have been taught, he never cut his hair or drank alcohol. They were, though, the outward signs of his anointing and dedication to, this, to the God of Israel. So that's cool, right? That's what you can tell why Samson's one of our favorite characters. But some poor characteristics about Samson, the other side, the flip side. Samson is sinfully weak, like all of us. He struggles with lust, and particularly the lust of Philistine women. And remember, the Philistines worshiped Dagon, not Yahweh, the God of Israel. So they were forbidden. Samson seeks out prostitutes and mistresses. And, so, and finally, Samson, in order to please his Philistine mistress, Delilah, he reveals to her one night that, he, that his hair is the outward sign of his Holy Spirit-empowered strength. And so what does Delilah do for her people? One night, she then cuts his hair. God's strength and spirit leave Samson. Why? Because of Samson's continued unfaithfulness. And so Delilah is able to tie up Samson and he is captured by the Philistine army. They gouge out his eyes and he is taken prisoner in the Philistine city of Gaza. Pretty tragic, gruesome stuff, right? Not stuff that we, we talk about a lot in church. And it's really sad as well. God used Samson to lead Israel despite his sin and poor choices. But then Samson really, really messes it up. And he appears, it appears as if all is lost for Samson. And that's where we pick up our text today. So if you've brought your Bibles along, or if you've got your apps, open them up. Otherwise, you can check us out on the screen. We're going to be opening it up in Judges 16, verses 23. 
Judges 16, verses 23. Follow along with me. Now the lords, okay, so in this context that means the generals and the leaders of the Philistines. So now the, the generals and the leaders of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. But actually, in fact, it had been because of Samson's poor choices that he was eventually captured by the Philistines. But anyways, this is what they believed, verse 24. And when the people saw Samson, they praised their God, Dagon, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravage of our country. Now, that's quite a title, right? So we know Samson's been doing some serious damage. Who has killed many of us, verse 25. And when their hearts were merry, so a lot of partying's been going on, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. Picture this for a moment if you can. Can you imagine how alone Samson must be feeling in this moment? A mighty warrior, now captured, blinded, and now he's being called out to entertain his captives whilst they worshiped a God different to the one that Samson had pledged his life to serve. But you see by this time, Samson's hair is beginning to grow back. And whilst his hair is not the source of his strength, his hair is an external representation of his remorse and his renewed devotion to God. We see that in losing his sight, the eyes of Samson's understanding were now being opened. And in the Lord taking away Samson's bodily strength, God is now able to renew Samson's spiritual strength. Let's continue. Verse 25b. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. So they're laughing at him. They made him stand between two pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, all the lords, all the lords, generals and leaders, all the leaders of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. Read that with me. O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my eyes. And Samson grasped the two pillars, the two middle pillars on which the house rested. He leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, which we know comes only from the Lord's Spirit. And the house fell upon all the people who were in it, all the lords, all the leaders. So the dem dead who he, whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up, buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged, or rather led, protected Israel for 20 years. Gruesome story. 
Thank you, Lord. We pray, Lord. Thank you for this, your word. And we praise you, Lord, for your perfect word that is indeed our word for us today. Amen. Now, this tragic story about Samson, it's tragic, of course. It's sad. It's gruesome. But it is a powerful story about God's faithfulness. The Lord God of Israel never forsook Samson. And I believe that we can learn a couple of things from him today. Firstly, when Samson cries out to God, Oh God, remember me. I believe that in that moment, God had not forgot Samson. But instead, as he prays that prayer, Lord God, remember me. Remember me. A remorseful and repentant Samson remembers God. As Samson cries out, Lord God, remember me. In that moment, God had never forsaken him. He had not forgotten him. But in that moment, Samson begins to remember God. He begins to remember where to put his faith and his trust in that moment, in a moment when he needs God the most. And as Samson prays that prayer, holding those two pillars either side of him, I can imagine him holding onto those pillars and remembering what God has done. Remembering God's faithfulness, remembering God's greatness, remembering God's strength, remembering that God is good and faithful and he does not go back on his word. And I can see Samson remembering all the things that God has done through his life. And I wonder if as Samson felt the strength of those pillars either side of him and he felt the texture of them, I wonder if he could feel the texture of that jawbone that he used to wield God's strength and kill a thousand Philistines with. I wonder if he could remember the feeling of that gate that he ripped from its hinges of the city walls. And I wonder if he, as he stood between those two pillars, he could feel what it was like again to stand between the lion's jaws. In Samson's prayer, O Lord God, remember me, we see a man putting his faith in a constant and faithful God once again. We see a man remembering to put his trust in the Lord God instead of prioritizing his fleshly, worldly desires and choices. And in Samson's prayer, O Lord God, remember me, we see a man putting his faith in God despite the humiliating suffering that's going on around him. I do not know your circumstances this morning and you do not know mine. We may know some of them. We may not know each other's suffering to the extent that we feel it. We probably do not know each other's isolation, the loneliness that we feel. But I do know that if you sit here this morning as a believer who has crossed the line of faith, that if we cry out, Lord God, remember us once again, as we pray that prayer, and as we put our trust in a God who is unfailing, who is faithful and sovereign, we will begin to remember once again all that God has done in our lives. We will begin to remember that Jesus has indeed conquered all. And we will begin to remember that God has not forgotten us, no matter what we face. And in the same way that he's brought us through those fires in the past, he will bring us through the fires again. Amen? We preach this regularly here at Roots of Fellowship. In fact, Oni said it this morning, God may not, he may not answer 
your prayers in a way that you want, but he will indeed answer your prayers. He will answer your prayers in a way that you need. And so church, this morning, do not let sin, our sin, and do not let the devil keep us away from praying and reaching out to God, who is always there. I pray that we would not let anything stop us from praying, Lord God, remember me. The second thing that we learn in the death of Samson, as believers, we also have another hopeful encouragement. Although Samson is not rescued from his circumstances, clearly we've seen that. Unfortunately, Samson's poor choices did have consequences. But God, in his faithfulness, in his mercy and his grace, uses Samson's suffering and eventual death in an amazing way. Have a look with me again, verse 30, if we can put it up, the last verse. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords, the leaders, and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he killed during his life. No matter how great the things that Samson did during his life, and, and we touched on some of them this morning, and they were indeed super incredible, what he achieved in his suffering and in his death far outweighed and exceeded what he did in his life. And that is only because of God's mercy, grace, love, and faithfulness. God saw Samson. He got Samson. He never forgot him. And he used him for his glory eternally. God used Samson to preserve the nation of Israel by virtually wiping out the entire Philistine leaders and forces and thus providing another way for another man to come and rescue not just the nation of Israel but every single nation for eternity. And so this is where the prayer, Lord God, remember me, applies not just to Christians but it applies to all of us. What if you're not a believer here today? And what if you too want our Lord God to remember you? Then for that answer, we need to turn to our final story this morning. And this story has really good news. And it takes place centuries after the, the, the death, the life and death of Samson, just outside Jerusalem on a hill called Calvary. And in this story, we can learn from two men. The Savior, in our third and final story, also finds himself physically bound between two other structures. He too faces suffering, ridicule, and death. But in many key ways, he's very different to Samson. The second character in the story we're about to read, we can also learn a lot from him. Because he prays a prayer very similar to the prayer of Samson. He also faces suffering, ridicule, and death, though. So turn with me to Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. Jesus is being crucified on a cross outside Jerusalem on Calvary. And on his left and on his right sits, well, are dying two thieves, both of whom deserve what they're getting. Jesus does not. And one of the criminals who has 
No acknowledgments of who Jesus is. Verse 39 says, he rallies at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He mocks Jesus and does not acknowledge Jesus as God. Very much like the Philistines mocked the God of Israel. Verse 40. But the other criminal on the other side of Jesus rebukes this person mocking Jesus, saying to him, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, speaking about the two criminals, and the two of us, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. We're getting what we deserve. You see, this man understands that he is sinful and in desperate, desperate need of a savior. But he says, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. How do we know that that promise of paradise was true for this criminal, for this thief, for me, and for you? How do we know that that promise of paradise is true for all those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because although there were some similarities with Samson, there are glaring differences. You see, although Jesus was fully human, fully man, he was also fully God. And he was not like, like a sinful man and woman. You see, Jesus lives the perfect life. He dies the perfect death for us. And unlike Samson, who remains buried, his, who, whose body remains buried in that tomb between Zorah and Eshtahol, Jesus was res resurrected from his tomb by the power of the Holy Spirit. And although Samson destroys a Dagon worship temple, Jesus is the temple of God who rose three days later. And he is currently sitting in heaven with God the Father. Amen. You see, Samson attempts to save the nation of Israel, and he has some success with God's help. But Jesus comes and saves every nation, job done and complete, signed, sealed, delivered. And as Jesus promises that thief dying next to him that he will indeed be with him in paradise, he shows us just how generously God's forgiveness is given. If you're sitting here and you're not a believer here this morning and you want to reach out to the Lord our God to remember you this morning, I'd invite you to hang around a bit after the service because we have people here who can pray with you and who can pray that prayer of Lord God, remember me. Lord Jesus, remember me. If you want to acknowledge God's son, Jesus Christ, as the Lord of all, whilst acknowledging your sin, as well as Jesus' sacrifice in your place, I want to tell you that God is faithful. He sees you. He sees me and he sees us all here this morning. And it is in praying, Lord, remember me, that we as believers and future believers put our faith in Jesus Christ, who sets us right with God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, who then allows us to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. In praying, Lord Jesus, remember me, we put our faith in God and we are able to clearly see just how faithful God is. 
that he has not left us nor forsaken us, and that he is busy preparing a place for us in paradise. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And in acknowledging who Jesus is, what he has done, and in praying, Lord Jesus Christ, remember me. We put our faith in Jesus, and thus we are saved. Amen? I'm going to be reading a little bit from an extract from Hebrews, which is also in the New Testament. And Hebrews chapter 11 is a a titled, uh, has become known as what we call the the Hall of Faith in in theological circles, the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. And the writer in Hebrews takes us through a number of of, um, Old Testament characters who who not through their works, but through their faith did God use to do amazing things. And he names a whole bunch. And if you'd like to follow along, you can. But as we read Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, I'm gonna invite you now just to meditate on these words, just to think about it. I'm gonna read this chapter and just open your hearts and minds to reading this, to hearing this, and to look out for a name that may be familiar to you. Chapter 11, Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their condemnation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was the past past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the giant's sand along the seashore. The writer continues to go through amazing characters like Moses, but then, towards the end of this, of, of, this, of this chapter, we come to an interesting character. Goes past Moses, goes past Joshua. And in verse 32, the writer says, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, now the judges, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, 
quench the raging of fire, escape the edge of the sword, gain strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might get better gain resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, and they were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And as we come to the end, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. They did not know Jesus, but even in their faith they were approved, since God had provided something better for us as Christians who know Jesus, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You see, church, this morning, although I've been rambling on and on and on, it is faith and faith alone that saves us, that sets us right with God. And as we cry out, Lord God, remember us, God is faithful. He has not forgotten us. He has not let us down. We can put our faith and trust in him. One of my favorite worship, uh, worship leaders uh, is a, a musician, artist by the name of Matt Redman. And he tells a story that as he's kind of coming to the end of a professional era, he's kind of been working at a church, in a w- church movement in America and Atlanta. He comes to the end of that time. His, his, uh, his season is up, and they decide, him and his family have decided to go back to the UK to be part of a church plant there. But he says his wife went ahead, his children went ahead, and he's sitting alone with his guitar in his apartment building that he's been living in in the last five or so years. And he pens these words to this song that I'm going to read out for you now. He pens these words not knowing what God is going to do. Not knowing what's going to happen on the other side of the Atlantic. Not knowing what it's going to be like that side. But he puts his faith and trust in the Lord God. Listen to these words, never once by Matt Redman. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say. Yes, our hearts can say. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. As you saw, I wanted to read something from this Bible, but it kind of led me down, preacher preacher improvisation that happened there. But I wanted to share something from this Bible this morning. I, wanted to, I planned to share it, and it was in the, the notes. And this morning as I was going through it, I found a note in the front. On the 29th of September 2002, 29th of September 2002, so we're talking 15 years ago nearly to the day, I, have a, uh, I was given this Bible by my parents and my sisters after attending a confirmation uh, course at a church that we belong to. And it says, to our dear Jonathan, may God watch over you always, bless you with with our special love. All I love, mom, dad, and Jane, Jane, Mitch, my sisters. I wanted to share something amazing from this Bible, but as I saw that prayer, it stuck out. Because you see, in 2002, I was wrestling with going full-time into ministry. Is God calling me into that life? 
And it was a real struggle for me. And it was interesting going back 15 years nearly to the day, seeing that my parents wrote this, gave me this Bible, my sisters gave me this, and that was their prayer that day. And I can tell you now that I'm standing here not because of anything that I did and not because of anything that anyone else did, but that because God is indeed faithful. And so church, how do we respond to this this morning? I believe it's about saying, Lord God, remember us, crying out and thinking on our lives, thinking about our lives and thinking about just how faithful God has been and thanking him and knowing that he will bring us through the fires again, no matter what the situation. And so as the band comes up this morning, I invite you just to, just to have a bit of quiet time and thank the Lord our God for what he is doing and what he has done. Yes, Lord God, you are indeed faithful. Despite of our weaknesses, Lord, which we have many, in spite of our sins, Lord, you are faithful. You see us. Holy, just God, loving Father, we praise you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done for us. The littlest of things, Lord, and the biggest of things, sending Jesus to die on a cross to be forsaken for us, Lord God so that we may be set right with you, Lord God, so that no matter what, Lord, no death nor suffering can separate us ever from knowing you eternally, God. And for that, we love and praise you. Lord, thank you. Lord, as we go out into this week and we face pillars that we need to pull, pull down and push down, as we face things that we are being physically bound to, Lord, as we face sickness, suffering, humiliation, maybe even death, Lord God. May we know, Lord God, that you are never, never away from us, Lord. That never once, Lord God, did we ever walk alone. Do we ever walk alone? Never once, Lord God, do you leave us on our own. Because, Holy Father God, you are indeed faithful. And so we praise your name, Lord God. We praise you forever. And we sing your praises now. We pray, Lord, that you would just work in our lives. Lord, we bring before you those struggles that we are facing. And we pray, Lord God, remember us. And as we do, Lord God, just bring to mind those things that we need to remember about you, that you are good, you are loving, you are faithful, Lord God. You see us when no one else does, Lord. I pray, God, Lord God, that you would change us together now. And that as we leave this place here today, we, be, we would be a collective prophetic voice saying that there is hope in Lord Jesus Christ. There's hope in our homes. There's hope in our schools. There's hope in our cities. There's hope in our businesses, Lord. There are, there's hope in our country, in our nation, in our continent, in the world, Lord God, because of the light and life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We praise you.